This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Lintzemeyer, a philosophy looky-loo who's looking to learn improv. And I'm Bill Arnett, an improv officer curious about philosophy. Each of us has come with a lesson in mind to convey to the other, and our rules for the conversation is we're not going to just say what it is up front, and we're not going to take turns. When the lesson is done, we'll tell you what we learned, and I have fired up the judge bot 5,000 to produce uh, the verdict this time. It's been dormant for a few weeks as we've had guests. Wonderful guests. Nothing to say anything disparaging about the guests, but it is nice to be OG crew, new me, judge bot. Yes. So judge bot, as you know, has a, a sort of a beak. Sure. Uh, sort of a thing. And uh, I've, right now there's something, I've, I've wrapped a, a shoestring around it so that it cannot communicate verbally. It has been keeping me up at, you know, just mm-hmm, intruding mm-hmm. on business calls and things. So I don't know a mechanical way to make it stop jabbering. So uh, merely using the old fashioned string. Just kind of unplug it. I mean, well, it's just... got to listen to what's going on here during the day. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, it has kind of taken control of the electrical system in the house. So it is unplugging mm-hmm. might be. I think I might be inviting some sort of home-based Armageddon if I if I actually try to do that at this planet. It's probably a serial killer who died in the electric chair who then merged with the circuitry. That's my bet. That is very possible. Happens all the time. Yes, you bash the judge. You uh, say nasty things about the judge before we have our competition and it has to judge impartially between us. I encourage you to do that. Okay. <laughs> you should start this time. We had gotten some comment at some point that... The philosophy was getting a little short shrift, and so, and then with all these philosophy guests, sometimes, or even with the non-philosophy guests, and I, I go first too often. We gotta, we gotta figure out a way to rebalance the other direction. Fair enough. Oh, I have a very specific thing in mind. We can launch into some improv here and do an improv scene. I have a very specific technique in mind. However, I won't explain the why. What do we buy with this technique? Will be we can discuss later as we go along. All right. I'm going to start the scene, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start. We, we may have done something similar. There's, there may have been some similarities with some past things, but, you know, I think that's fine. And I don't care. Uh, <laughs> we're diving in. Uh, we had an offline discussion about how do we change things up and shake things up. And I think, I think we can do this. I'm going to start the scene by essentially, I'm going to jump into a scene or some kind of dialogue here right in the middle. And the absolute middle was zero context. Zero context as to what's happening. And I want you to ask me a question quickly that is also implies you've heard more of this story than the audience has. Okay. So if I start off talking about something about, you know, some story that clearly is taking place in a school or something, you would ask a question that demonstrates that you've heard more than the audience has heard. All right. So it's equally out of context for the audience, double out of context for the audience. Are we ready? I'm ready. Let me get myself ready here. All right. So get this. Tommy dumped his popcorn right in the the front of the theater. All right. So as you can imagine, Cheryl's furious. She's furious. I thought Dave already confiscated the popcorn. That's just it. Tommy had a confederate. He had someone on the inside who bought the popcorn and was sitting on an aisle seat. And then when he came in, he grabbed it. So these these rapscallions, I, I don't know. This has kind of been building up for a long time. Well, he said he was gonna he said he was gonna dump popcorn everywhere. 
and make a big make a big laugh out of it. And of course, Cheryl's mortified by that and didn't want him to. But like, it's just usually when that kind of threat is made, as you were just telling me five minutes ago, it's some sort of metaphor that dumping popcorn means something else. Usually, something much more disgusting. So I'm actually what it means is I don't I I I think it's funny to embarrass myself. So you need to call Cheryl. That's what that's what that's what we're getting at. That's why you have to call her and explain this mess. I, I you know I mean you were telling me of what's going on in her personal life. Do you really is that's why you're afraid to call her yourself? Well she know she's she thinks that I would be in on it with Tommy. She thinks that I was the one who was hiding in the theater with the popcorn. Ah. But she knows you weren't there. She knows that you and Tommy had a bit of a falling out, so I think you'd be per- I think you'd be perfect to patch up this relationship. That's what I'm getting at. You know, I'm feeling like uh, the social relations among us uh, nine-year-olds are, g- are getting more complex every day. We're knocking on the door of teenagerdom, all right? And it's time to start acting like teenagers. I thought it was strange that uh, Tommy's voice changed so early, and maybe it's, the, it's, it's what we've been eating that is uh, sort of caused... I mean, you're, you've got a, almost a full beard there. It's fuzzy. I'm not going to lie. It's fuzzy. But it is coming in. It is coming in. And Cheryl, despite being only ten, mm-hmm. seems to have fully developed breasts. Do you do you do you not find this a little peculiar? How well, uh, <laughs> look? Here's what you need to know. Tommy loves her. He also loves making a hilarious scene at the movie theater. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now Cheryl's pissed and is going to dump him. And as friends who recognize true love when we see it, we can't let that happen. So you need to call her. And pretend like you know nothing. And then when it comes up, which in, inevitably will, you can swoop in and say, hey, I think Tommy really likes you. And I think that it would be foolish to let this one incident, you know, All ruin right. a good thing. So so I'm trying to get Tommy off the hook, but I'm also trying to get you out of suspicion. Oh, I wasn't. I, I, we didn't talk. We did not. This conversation did not happen. That would ruin everything. All right. And what was all this stuff about? Dude, be a bro. Be a bro, dude. That's what I'm saying. Be a bro. All right. Be a friend. Be a pal. And make a semi not anonymous phone call to save a relationship. Okay. Help a brother out. All right. I just, I feel like it was coming from Tommy himself. I mean, he's got that minor in, he's been reading a lot of poetry. Like, I think that he, he might be able to handle his own business. Look, I don't know what, why you think. I know that I have a certain skills, uh, verbal skills as well, because I've been reading all this philosophy. But the poetry beats philosophy every time. Well, she's, she's cut him out. Cheryl's cut out. Cut him out. She's not answering his calls, not answering his texts or his emails. All right. So we got to do the end run. Blow the horn. Blow the ram's horn. Assemble the fellas. All right. That's what's going on. You're the cavalry. All right. You're the cavalry. Now, what do I get at? What I, I hesitate to ask, but I, you know, the, the bro code, I, I could, I'd be putting myself out on the line here. Yeah. I don't know that it extends. I feel like some sort of a quid pro quo might be in order. Do you feel like maybe, you know, Belinda, I have been uh, long lusting after and oh I feel boy. like uh, my words are, are inadequate to win her heart. Oh boy. And perhaps uh, Tommy, if you would talk to Tommy about writing a missive, to deliver in my stead to win her heart to me, yeah, we that might, uh, yeah, might 
help me uh, see fit to make this call on behalf of him. Uh, yeah, we were asking for years. You've been Belinda has been in the conversation for years and we understand that. All right. And she doesn't seem to recognize that I that I exist, that I am alive. I find it uh, quite, quite dreadful. That, uh, I, I try to show my face around her. I, I, uh, I, I begin to blanch. I begin to uh, feel lightheaded. Uh, words do not come to my lips. Look, here's what I can guarantee. I can guarantee my older brother can get you a sixer. Okay? Of anything you want. That's easy. All right? I can definitely swing with some natty light, some bush, whatever you want. I can guarantee a sixer. Okay? What I can't now, guarantee. Now, your brother, your brother is three years old, and I know he's created a still uh, where he brews all these, these brews himself. But I, I don't know that I trust. Have these been tested against animals? I mean, I, I, they have been shared amongst the football team, and they seem to think it's great. Okay. All right. All right. So that's a guarantee. If you want any kind of Belinda action, I'll have to take that back. I can't unilaterally approve that. Okay. This is the this is the peewee football team you're talking about. The peewee right? fo- the, the uh, peewee football team gets drunk under the bleachers on my toddler brother's homemade beer. Yes. The, so Those they're, are they're the facts. Those are the facts. 12 years old yet have grown to a, a height, I believe an average height of eight and a half feet. So they really must need a lot of beer. Yes. So I, I would think this is a, a very potent brew that your brother has been brewing up. I don't ask questions. I just drink it. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure what the hang up is. You know, I look a gift horse in the mouth here. All right. All right. I'll tell you what, I'll take this back. I'll take your offer back. And uh, see what we can do, but time is of the essence. All right, if you could, if you could get what's the fellow uh, uh, Sanji, if, if you could get him to notarize uh, whatever you come back with, so that we have, you know, some sort of uh, formal ironclad agreement. A time be, stamp. You want a time okay. stamp? Is that I would, okay? I'd like it to be time stamped. Yes, I, I, I'd like this to be into the minutes. Well, I'm going to say this. This conversation was difficult. I'm going to. I will. Uh, I was hoping it would be a high five. You know, and it's been a little difficult, but that's fine. You know, um, that's fine. such that's fine. such are the complexities of, of of living as a youth in today's America. Yeah, and the bro code ain't our ain't our papa's bro code. That's for sure. And what it is now, what it is now, is certainly mixed with the complexities of youth and electronics. So noted. It does help that our papas have have evolved into some sort of uh, I don't know. They look about a hundred and five. Uh, given anyway. That's probably best uh, put aside. Yeah, yeah, whatever there. Cool, bro. Uh, bro, I hope. Bro, bro. Bro, bro. All right. I'll get back to you in a few minutes. Click. And that was the phone right. hanging up, that- <laughs> signifying the end of the scene. <laughs> okay. I forget exactly what you said that made me feel like I needed to do this ridiculous age thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but clearly I said something. Unless that's the secret philosophy lesson, but uh, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> it was not. I, it might right. be in a minute, but <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, was that easy? Hard? Medium? Uh, the jumping into the middle of something. I, I guess it's hard to say. Like, am I referring to something that we just said a second ago, or that is part of a shared knowledge base? immaterial as long yeah. it was not mm-hmm. contained within what I said, as long as it's more unheard information from the ears of the audience. Mm-hmm. I don't think that matters. Other than that, easy, hard, medium, interesting, textured. Well, it was definitely interesting. 
but I wasn't sure how you felt about my putting the bit of weirdness in there because I wasn't sure how to make this interesting as <laughs> I, responding well, in a straightforward way. The improv note would be, how do you feel about me trying to put you up to this? How does your character feel about this? Put upon or lucky? Definitely hesitant. And that was largely because I felt like if I just said, okie doke, then uh, the scene would be over and we had to somehow stretch this out. So it was not a frustration scene, but it was something with a similar dynamic of hemming and hawing and sort of keeping you asking and raising sure. stakes and introducing new elements so that I couldn't sure. just say, all right, I'll get back to you. Bye. It could have continued. Even if you said I'm on it, believe it or not, we could have continued because that would then tell me quite a bit about you and your character and what you're all about. And that you're totally down with this kind of a thing. And that is fine. That scene probably happened in another alternate universe. But that is fine. Maybe we can do another one of these days where it's like, ooh, try to say something that ends the scene. That might be a fun exercise to prove that these things might be more durable than we. Any ideas what the lesson might be? Any early inklings or tinglings or thoughts? Uh, n- no, other than just <laughs> just being in a concrete, developed just what you said of how to establish this shared something immediately, which is probably not to, as I was then trying to develop the idea, gratuitously state the heights of the football players and the apparent ages of the adults. You know, this is something that I feel like I had to get out and I could not, (laughs) I could not show. I had to just say, yes, if I wanted that to be part of the joke, there's no other way. At least no other way that I could think of quickly enough. There probably is a way to imply that all the adults are on, not catheters, but, you know, on in some iron lung. <laughs> yeah, some old people devices. Okay. If there was something that would just connote that, that you could say that instead of saying that they all look very old. I will take clear and inelegant over confusing and elegant any day of the week. So confusing doesn't just invite you to give your own interpretation? (laughs) Well, there's (laughs) character being confused and then actor being confused. And as an actor, I will give my own interpretation. However, I also recognize I may be stepping all over your intended, what you had in mind. I felt like I I set up that everybody is impossibly advanced Mm -hmm. due to some unknown cause. Something in the water, aliens. And you, you played with that. You accepted that. But then you didn't bring up another character that had... I brought up all the new elements of that, like that there's a lawyer character and there's a, was that a sign of, okay, Mark, I don't know if I'm really crazy about this idea. I'm not really so interested in, I'm going to stick to the business at hand. I guess I could, my character could say it's like, all that is true, but immaterial in this moment. Mm -hmm. And that is also possible. And, you know, again, in another universe, perhaps I took that and ran with it, but my character be like, that's all true, but that doesn't change what's happening right now with this phone call. None of that alters my reason for calling you. It might, perhaps there are some other elements of that, but it's a little bit apart from us and apart from this moment. And it wasn't just like, oh, I got to pick up the phone. Oh man, Mm -hmm. I got to save this relationship quick. I got to call Mark quick. He can work some of his magic. I'm not thinking about, man, those babies have beards, you know. That states of exposition. (laughs) So maybe I was over-interpreting your attempt to start in the middle of the scene and convey that some things have happened in the past by, you know, that I interpret that as an invitation to write this little sci-fi scenario (laughs) or whatever, and try to do a huge exposition dump in the course of talking. And then, you know, first two minutes. 
It's interesting, cool color. It's the olive and the martini. And I think as improvisers, we got to make sure that we're getting plenty of vodka and that kiss of vermouth and not just a glass of olives that we're getting some of the other the fun stuff in there as well. The action reaction that is inherent of drama or any good book or movie we write is that someone's behaviors are having an effect on someone else, either well or poorly. We either like it or we don't like it. And I certainly could have done some more with that color. And perhaps if this scene were to continue or have, or birth future scenes, mm-hmm. that color could become very important or inspire other players. I guess in that very brief moment, my character felt it not quite germane. Now, again, alternate universe Bill may have felt differently, but that was that. Does that make sense? A little bit of yeah, sense? Yeah, and I'm developing a different idea for the, the philosophy here, which is <laughs> okay. based around what we've been talking about in how does history, mm-hmm. you know, your personal history, your cultural history, all the kinds of history affect your self-conception? You know, this is an easy thing to sure. reflect on through the lens of improv, of how much of a backstory you feel like you have to build into a character or or how much of setting. Boy, clarification. When we say talk about history, do you mean our own personal life experience history or history going back as like, well, my parents were originally, you know, great, 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 great grandparents were Scots-Irish from, you know, emigres and what that means. And I mean, that's a great question in how you think it should affect how we live that I think as Americans, as waspy Americans, we (laughs) have, I don't want to say a privileged position or something, but it is sort of the default position of I don't really care. It's kind of cool to do some genealogy or whatever, but it's not like I need to live the traditions of my English, German, French ancestors. And I'm not even so concerned of what percentages of those things I have. It only becomes interesting of like, oh, I ran 23andMe and I found that I'm one eighth Comanche, which I'm not. But if, you know, if you actually found that, Mm -hmm. then like, oh, maybe that matters somehow but there are plenty of other people you know it seems like something hooked into judaism particularly or lots of traditions where the greek what's the uh the my big fat greek wedding where the the father just like everything relates to being greek and like all everything that's cool that you see you have to say oh that actually was originated by a greek person and you know whether that is merely eccentric and something to put in a comedy movie (laughs) Yeah, even though it does reflect some reality and it's harmless enough or whether there is some important way about being a human mm-hmm. that we actually should incorporate history in that way. I don't know. What is your thought? I'm just thinking like one history, the history we never get to experience directly, you know, where my great, 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 great grandfathers are from and all those things has to be told to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that for many people, there is, and in fact, you probably say all people, there is a value in this idea of belonging, you know, and we can bemoan tribalism as a bad thing, but it's happening 24 7, 365 in every corner of the planet. There must be something inside of us that's like, no, I do. Being part of a group does give me feel a sense of belonging or something. Now, can that be perverted or twisted or taken to uh, too bad of an extreme? You know, probably so. I don't think we should necessarily bemoan people for having a glint of happiness if they think about where they were from or whatnot. But on the same token, I think that can all be taken too far and carrying dead people's baggage is the expression I've heard sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that actually probably it's different than my own personal experienced history 
which may be divergent or different than my quote unquote ancestral history. And in that regard, I think that experience history is very important and why we behave the way we do as a summation of DNA to the square root of our personal experience and that how someone grows up and how someone sees the world ends up impacting them in a very real way. So I guess in some ways, the improv tie back would be, yeah, you know, the experience history might be really important to explore a character, but it may not necessarily be something as cut and dry as, oh, this person is one eighth Comanche or, you know, this person's great grandfather. You know, it's all kind of data points, but not necessarily the kind of visceral oh, this person experienced extreme poverty for much of their growing up. So now that they've grown up, they're just like, pay off all their debts. They f- fly the cheapest airfare. They drive. They, you know, There may be other things that drive them that are more experiential versus ancestral. So sort of either way, I don't know if you're familiar with Jean-Paul Sartre. Heard the name. His, his Heard existentialism the name. says that uh, we kind of always, it's a bad habit people have that we try to make them ourselves an object. We try to make of other people objects. We try to, and what this means is we want to lock them down. We want to define them. Sure. You know, it's more common with other people because that makes them easier to deal with. If you could just like put them in a box and like yeah. predict how they're going to act like, oh, that person is a, a fuddy duddy. That person is a, <laughs> is a loose cannon. That's all a those Gen Zer who's always, you know, changing their attitudes every uh, day with their hair color. Yeah. But we even do that with ourselves. That we try to like, oh, I'm a decent person. I wouldn't do that thing. You try to set some sort of self-image up to yourself. And a lot of that comes from, it could come from your personal history. And a lot of people relate that to their, you know, it's very important that their family line or whatever, you know, other, some cultures more than others. It sure. It's like what your group memberships are become more of your self-definition. And really all that's bullshit. That is all <laughs> self-deception. The truth is that we are, Sort of whatever's actually motivating us, you know, mm-hmm. you know, of course, if you've suffered trauma or whatever, you're going to react differently than somebody who hasn't. But we always feel like the next thing we do is a free action. And yeah. that should be something that we really embrace. And if we are like, I can't do that kind of thing because that's not the person I am, then you are lying to yourself. Sure. It seems like for improv, I think it is very important. This whole sense of identity is very important for the average human. You know, speaking as alien zoologists, we might say, well, you know, those humans, they, they need to uh, label themselves as something. They need to identify as something and put themselves in it. And it's really, really important. However, there is no material basis for any of it. Maybe, you know, again, this is as an alien zoologist who, who might say like, look, I can get a baby from every corner of the globe, take him into space and tell the kid raised in South America that he was actually raised in China, tell the kid in China that he was actually raised in South America and tell him the story of the conquistadors. What, you know, would they even know? Would the kid from baby from China who grew up thinking they were descendant of the Incas and Spanish and the kid from South America who thought his ancestors were in the dynastic, you know, Ming dynasty, would that ring any more or less true to them? You know, is there something in their DNA that says, no, 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 I'm part Inca and, and Spanish? Or they'd be like, yeah, okay, all right. It's a weird thing, and I think it's a peculiarity of the human animal, just how, how important that identity is, yet how little, <laughs> going to get me in trouble, but how, how little it takes to turn mm-hmm. that on and how little it might represent. So I guess maybe I am, I got a Sartre feather in the cap, I guess, a little bit. I think that improv stuff is just, we do put people in boxes and we do label people, but I think the way we label people isn't just 
stereotypical, oh, that person is, I mean, you said fuddy-duddy. I kind of like fuddy-duddy because that's kind of a behavior. <laughs> that's kind of yeah. something we experience. That person talks too much. That person just wants to be the boss. That person is just a classless player. And all they want to do is just like they're always on the prowl. And those are people that we've met in our lives and that it's very easy when we describe people to third parties. It's something we've talked about, this whole notion of behaviors. And if I say, you know, describe this person to you, I won't say, well, they were born in Omaha, Nebraska. Their parentage is X, Y, and Z. They are a proud member of the Boy Scouts of America. It's like, no, I would say, oh, this guy, you got, he will bet on anything. Everything is a game. And if you order the burger at a restaurant, he'll order the double just because, you know, and it's like, all right. That will give me something to work with. That, that's something that will affect me. And if I'm going to interact with this person, that would be helpful to know rather than just biological, bibliographical data points. Well, I know what I'm storytelling and I introduce a new <laughs> character. I put a family tree down. I, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I try to describe pixel by pixel the shape of their face. It's really hard to actually finish the description. But that could be really important if you then go on to say, I know like, there are certainly fantasy books that go into all this lineage and whatnot, and, but all that is there, not for information, but it's there to then leverage that character. Other people use that lineage to leverage them into a certain behavior. Look, you're the prince, all right? And these are all your forefathers, and you need to act a certain way. You're not going to be a poet. You're not going to run off and join the circus. You are the crown prince, and you got to lead, you know, so it, it's used as leverage. It's not like those data points are useless to other people, they may not have any underlying value. They're not a fungible asset, but all the people around them may leverage that to get a person to behave a certain way, which you could argue every interaction in life is, please behave a way I want you to. Please do the thing I want you to do. Friends are the people who usually naturally want to do what we want to do, but are uh, the people we have antagonistic relationships with are people who never want to do what we want to do. So we don't hang out with them. I put those family trees and things in my books just because I want to please nerds to catch me in inconsistency. Uh, well, yes. Uh, because you said in Appendix D that he was from the land of Romulor. But then in page 465, then when Sparky asks him if he was from the land of Romulor, then he says no. And you're like, oh, you got me. Knowing full well, you put that in there on purpose. That was a trap. It was a that, trap. Uh, labeled them. Now they have something an actual label on them so the mm-hmm. aliens will know who to kill first. And now they, now they think they got one over on you. Now they think they won. But the truth is you control their emotions. You, it's good to make people feel good by letting them think that they've fooled you. Oh, yes. Letting them think that they've, I let somebody empty out my bank account because I was just like, they're going to feel so such an sense of accomplishment. That's too much. That. I think that might be too much. Something empty out your bank mm. account might be, that might mm. be too much. Mm. I had a buddy when we moved to Chicago who had a uh, poser wallet for a little while that he just had like a couple dollars and just some like old random canceled credit cards in. So if he ever got mugged that they would grab the poser wallet and mm. then leave him with his actual wallet. It never got, to t- it never, it never happened. He never got tested, but uh, that sounds like, you know, it felt like an appropriate anecdote to add. Did he, did he put <laughs> smallpox in it? But he didn't have access to smallpox. It is hard to contain it in the poser wallet to make sure it doesn't, escape yes uh, especially if that wallet spends most of its time with you and only perhaps with a uh, an assailant with a mugger yeah that's difficult should we do another scene here mark do you, do you yeah. want to try this starting in the middle and having me ask a question out of nowhere that the audience will have no context for yes all right so i know this is really hard for you to hear 
that you thought that you'd been uh, all the time. Can, can we, do we have to go fine, fine? I mean, I was trying to reveal to you your, your true parentage, and it, it is very difficult, I know, for you to, to understand that we're, mom and I are not okay, your, is your this, real parents. Is, is, this, is this why Gordon ran out? Do we know where Gordon is? Well, I mean, Gordon did know some of the circumstances. He was involved in bringing you here to us. You know, in fact, it was his his mother was was murdered by your real what? parents. What? And Gordon? My yeah, older Gordon's, my older brother Gordon. No, no, not not that Gordon. The other I thought you meant the Gordon that just ran out. Yeah, we gotta we gotta have labels for these Gordons. No, no, Gordon Gordon, your brother is Uncle actually Gordon. yes, the one that we have you call Uncle, yes. But he's not actually my brother or your your mother's brother. He's just a, a family and friend. And, I, and even if he was, I'm not your child. No. And he, but he at least is more related to you in that he knew your real parents. He did. Yes. I can give you their contact information. They're Please. Both in prison now. That's fine. That's fine. We, we took you in because, <sighs> you know, I know that we have you go to church all the time and, you know, you're just a very moral boy. And I really appreciate the way you're growing up. I felt like, Having uh, reached that age, having reached uh, thirteen now, you're you're old this enough. This is crazy. This is crazy. To see where you who you actually come from. This is crazy. I, I, I mean, so <laughs> we can pull this up on Google here. Here, just uh, you can get your phone. So, who are my real parents? Yeah. So this is it's the the Munson family. It's okay. The, it's an actual family, and they were part of a a, a cult. So actually, it's what? a little unclear which among them are your parents, but I I think it is this. Phil Munson and Judy Munson. And uh, they were, there was a cult. I was the product of a religious cult. Was it religious? It was definitely religious. It was sort of a religious death cult. And they, well, you can read the, I don't know if I'm comfortable with you reading all the details. You maybe should should just. (laughs) The cat's out of the bag. I mean, y'all got me a smartphone so I can. Yeah. So it is sort of like that Texas chainsaw massacre kind of thing. But this, (sighs) this actually, this happened in Oklahoma. Wow. So that's why I think it is disturbing, but you're actually Oklahoman. You're not from Illinois. You're from Oklahoma. I'm sorry. Right. Can we slow, sorry you had to hear it. Can we slow down with all the surprises? Can we just slow down with all the surprises? Wow. Um, are my parents not Presbyterian? Is that, is that the next thing you're going to say? Oh, definitely not Presbyterian. I mean, it is a death cult. They worship Set, I believe. The Not Egyptian God set? Yeah, he's the, the something about death. I, I wow, okay. not really read right. into that so much. Do you and do I still call you dad? Is mom still mom? I mean, is that I I would hope so. No, you should definitely call us mom and dad. It's just we were on the lookout for sort of behaviors that might indicate that blood will out, that you are tainted by your origins. So far, except for that thing with your brother Gordon, how what what you were well, that was the way you've been treating him. It's been pretty good. You know, as well as I do, he is a pain and likes pushing buttons. Okay. I just want to know, do you and mom love me? Is this, are we, we, are we gonna... love you unconditionally, except the way you've been treating your brother Gordon. Well, that's, and that's I, been I ongoing. That that's ongoing. <sighs> I mean, is that, is that true? I mean, do you think my DNA is tainted? Is that, is that, a, is that possible? I don't know the science. I think you gotta, you just gotta know in your heart who you are and uh, that you are still our, our child. It doesn't matter where your dark and horrible seed might've come from. Uh, okay. I mean, on the ground 
in a in a that hurts. Um, that hurts. Okay, that was the vat, my, that, what? ritualistic sort of thing. That's unnecessary. I'm sure my parents loved each other. My actual parents loved each other. Okay, and I'm sure it was hard for them to give me up. That's probably true, right? Well, it was hard for you. I mean, that's I was a baby. Can I show you what you were brought to us in? So I I still have it in the garage on the top shelf. Here, let me let me just uh, here. Uh, uh, hey hey F- Phil, could you just pull that down? All right, he he's bringing it in. All right, so what, we what what? So this is what? a you what? can see it's sort of a, a half coffin and has sort of spikes at the side. This is this is what you were delivered in, as opposed delivered? to a basket delivered. Yes. Well. I, I don't know if they knew that the cops were on their way or well, this doesn't mean they didn't they love me. This, so it's a spiky coffin. Okay. I mean, it, it was written in blood on your forehead. This one is not for us. So I don't know what that means exactly. Every parent who gives up their child, it is in a manner speaking, not for them based on certain economic factors, social pressures. There are a lot of reasons that would cause a parent to give up their child. All right. And, not love is the one I've never heard of. Okay, that's not one I've ever heard of. I mean, from what I understand, you were the only child to emerge from that cult. That most of them it's were be, sacrificed it's so because they were loved. possibly, possibly because you were loved extra much, or possibly because you were not good enough to be sacrifice. killed. Not good enough to be murdered. Well, A I baby? don't know what the standards that Set has for his sacrificial victims, but this is. Nothing you should worry about. You should really just know that you are loved and, and you are our child and, and you can, you really should just keep going to church and not look too far into what their beliefs were such that you might want to follow them in their, their errant ways. You know, I just, um, it's really heavy and it's a lot. You're dumping on me right now. Okay. And I'm just confused. How about some spaghettios? You like spaghettios. How, how would that cheer you up? No, I don't want to eat. I don't know if I ever want to eat. I've lost my appetite, all right? And I want a hug, and I want to know where mom is, and... Yeah, mom didn't want to participate in this conversation. She she's she feels weird about the whole thing. Probably thought I shouldn't tell you at all. I imagine. So, I mean, a few minutes ago, you were like, don't go looking into this, and then you bring out a, a horizontal Iron Maiden that I was delivered in, and and I don't know... Hey, they didn't close it. I mean, it wasn't the top. I think if they had closed that, that would have been really. Well, why are you, 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 you with one hand, you say, don't look it up. And with the other hand, you say, this is the torture device that you were given to us in. Well, I just wanted to make it clear that it's, well, it's not clear just that it's, it's not clear. just that they weren't ready for a child or, you know, the normal uh, adoption sort of things. It, it, it seems like it was it was pretty messed up. Wow. Thanks. That's thanks. Great. So awesome. I'm, awesome. Now, now you can you can go into the future wow. having a, a more complete understanding of yourself wow. and your own motivations. And if you feel any of uh, those urges, like what you were doing toward your brother, again, just you know, you know that that's probably not coming from a place that you want to identify. That's with. we've you know, Gordon is my brother. Gordon is trying. He likes pushing buttons. Does he know? Does he know? No, and I don't think we should we should tell him. I don't think maybe he does know, and that's why he's trying to push my buttons. No, I think he's just an annoying little shit. But that's fine. See, I don't say that about you. I just that's between you and me that we can feel. Wow. I mean, I love him, of course, but yeah. We just got to move forward with our lives, I guess, huh? Yes. I got a little league game tomorrow. You come into that? Can we? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to bring Gordon though. He he is a little too disruptive there. I mean, he has his own issues. You're sure yeah, not. And those you, are, those are entirely uh those are not genetic. Those are entirely environmental. We we 
we tried some things with him when he was really, you know, developing in, in the, wow. when your mom was pregnant with him. And uh, I, I think we're probably going to regret wow. that. I, it was supposed to maybe give him extra abilities, make him, uh, you know, extra smart or something, but it clearly has not worked you out. You've said enough. You've said enough. Okay. All right. Glad we had this talk. Yeah. I think I'm going to go spend the night at Kenny's tonight, if that's okay. I'm just going to pack up my stuff. Go. I, I need to, I need to not be here right now. I mean, you know, okay, we'll, we'll talk about what's with Kenny's family later, but you, you, you can just find that out for yourself. All right. See ya. See yeah. ya. See, see ya, Pop. Uh, scene. Also, also, you click, that was on the phone. Also on the phone. Like the, both those scenes today were on the telephone. I coincidentally was had the phone open to who knows what, and I hung it up. Mm-hmm. You don't know who is listening into mm-hmm. that conversation. Maybe I was only saying that under duress. You don't know. Well, you know, and I think it's those mysteries that really bring the crowds back. All right. So, what do you think of that? As in the middle of a, a I thought a it was fine. And, and again, it's this whole. Well, you tell me what this buys us, but I enjoyed it. I didn't make it much of that we were in the middle of a conversation. It could have just been the beginning of a conversation. I could have said, hey, let's sit down and let's talk about this. But instead, maybe that's part of the lesson. Mm, that it doesn't, that in media res, we're always in, in media res. Even when you start a scene, <laughs> it just doesn't. Yes. That's the lesson? K- kind of. I guess it? It's a, a good chunk of the lesson, or at least a way of thinking about the lesson. This idea that we get hung up on how something begins or how something ends, but it's a very, um, sketch comedy notion of well it's wasn't on and now it is on and now it's over and life doesn't necessarily work like that it doesn't need to work like that and that when you uh put too much pressure on yourself at the beginnings of scenes then you Hmm. open yourself up to saying well that was a good beginning or that was a bad beginning and then you start putting a lot of pressure on yourself at the tops of scenes and that's just Mm -hmm. not that's not required we can have a scene top that is random and chaotic it still has just as much chance of landing on an incredibly clear, specific thing. This one was a little easier in that the conversational situation left it unclear how much I actually wanted to tell you about what was going on so that it could be as many or as little details. Like it was not like the uh, storytelling, tell us, you know, about your date kind of thing. I mean, I guess even in any storytelling situation, you could introduce a, oh, well, I'm, I'm a little shy. I don't want to reveal that. You could introduce some sort of reluctance that can then buy you time or give you an excuse to not have worked out all the details or whatever. Totally. And in fact, you could say that having scenes that begin <laughs> more interestingly than, ah, come on into my office. I, want, I wanted to speak to you. Well, team, I've gathered you in the break room, which is a good 60% of the scenes I start, at least on this program. That's not the only way to start things. And we don't want to get pigeonholed into thinking, if I don't explain everything immediately, we can't have a scene. It begins an improviser death spiral of, well, if I have nothing funny to say, then I can't improvise. And that's just not true and a dead end philosophy. Well, let me ask you that for this kind of the second scene in a row, mm-hmm. I set up some kind of weird premise. If I was just writing that second one as a chintzy Saturday Night Live scheme, it would be oh, of course this doesn't affect me, your character, but then would sort of end the scene by evincing clear, you know, I kind of set up, what are you exactly doing to your brother? There could be something that you could have jumped on in terms of, yes, blood is outing after all. That As soon as it's revealed, or the reason that I, f- I felt like it had to be revealed now is because you actually are a demon child or what, whatever. But you played it more emotionally realistically than that, as opposed to merely giving the punchline of the joke. Well, I like keeping uh, it mysterious. 
you know, this whole notion of like, well, it may have been siblings have conflict and not knowing is kind of fun. If this were to go on longer or if this were to be part of a bigger thing at some point, we probably would want to know. But just in those moments, it felt like a fun thing to kind of short circuit the audience's expectations a little bit or, or make them stick around longer to enjoy where it's going and to meet me some more, meet you some more, and then form an opinion as to what this thing was, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're overreacting or I am behaving in some ritualistic torture kind of fashion. Mm-hmm. Well, it also introduced a point of potential discomfort or whatever, because when you're talking about what potential child abuse, by like, that's not funny. That's not something we want to skate around with. Uh, <laughs> so establishing that I was trying to think like, is it Indian burns? And then I should make a comment about them calling being called Indian burns, like, you know, some variation on a thing that people commonly do to give their, their siblings the business as opposed to something truly disturbing yeah uh, just to keep it in perspective i hope that's the fun of it you know the interesting part and again i was trying to a couple times i was trying to get you to talk about how you felt about this having this conversation i'm again i'm kind of picking these instead of now the characters all being stupid the characters (laughs) are all unnaturally blasé and that's sort of where where the humor or attempted Mm -hmm. humor is coming from is that i'm trying to be sensitive and explain all this to you and I have good advice. Yes. But I really sort of don't seem to have any good sense of what are good details to share and what yes. are details are not to share or whether I should have involved the other parent with this or just really poor judgment. And I was trying to point that out. Mm-hmm. You're doing a terrible job of doing this. <laughs> I'm not sure if you were dreading this conversation or happy to have this conversation, but either way, it's exactly. fine. But I, you I'll try yeah. to... Not have a character like that. Well, it's okay if they're blasé. It's just, you know, as they're called out on it, you know, how do you feel about being, there's some room for a frustration game in there. And perhaps that was the real meat and potatoes of the scene. We're all on our own journeys and anything we can do to, to explore the, what's between us rather than the bibliographical data points. I think there's lots of cool stuff in there. A lot of stuff to mine in there. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts out of that? As far as the philosophy lesson, I just, you know, use this to potentially make the dumb joke that is in the surprisingly many horror films or whatever. And Mm -hmm. oh, you've gotten a murderer's limb grafted onto you when you lost your limb. Mm -hmm. And now that limb is going to of itself become a murderer. And the serial killer who was electrocuted merged with the circuitry of Judgebot. Yes. Yes. It's like you said, you know, wouldn't that be the easiest thing to do in the world to know? Oh, well, this person's parentage was X, Y, or Z. Therefore we should feel comfortable treating them as such, you know, mm-hmm. and boy, that sure would make the world easier, but it's just not true. And ultimately not how we want to be treated, I think, but it still is inside of us. Then this whole notion of, I think we're all afraid that we'll be trapped by our DNA to a degree, or that we've certainly met people who think of their DNA as better and leverage that when there's actually little to no truth in, in any of that. All right. Well, let's see what the judge bot <laughs> has to say about this is the, uh, the lesson about starting a scene or starting in the middle in media res. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> okay. In media res. You know, so, I don't know. Has that been you know, a more effective, useful tool or this rough thing about relating your background to, you know, living your history? All right. So I'm going to, no, we're going to keep the uh, shoelace on. You, you can just deliver the, deliver the piece of paper as normal. All right. So we got the piece of paper. Bill, what does it say on this piece of paper? Can you make it out? Well, it says history, dot, 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 exclamation point. Wow. Well, I, I wouldn't have predicted that. I thought maybe my <laughs> point was, was too uh, dissolute. 
to be particularly useful, but I, you know, I think the general uh, existentialist point is, I think it's fun. Useful I think it's one. nice. Yeah. I think there's a lot there and I think there's mm-hmm. a lot for all of us individually and all of us thinking about what society should look like. We're butting up hard against things that are inside of all of us that may or may not have the utility we want them to have <laughs> and may have, in fact, negative consequences. And I think that's really heavy. Well, I sure enjoyed. <laughs> and I think yeah. we've done my thing, a similar thing before. So uh, so let me just tag that as well. Well, I also <laughs> have enjoyed uh, learning from you, Mark. And uh, scene. Scene. I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you're subscribed directly to the Philosophy versus Improv feed. You can get links for that at philosophyimprov.com or look up Philosophy versus Improv in the podcast app of your choice. While you're there, please leave us a nice rating and review. I want to thank our Patreon supporters, Brett, Christopher, Nick, Michael, Helen, Ramon, and Ethan. You can add your name to that illustrious list by going to patreon.com slash philosophyimprov. And that will get you the special post-game discussion that concludes every episode and is much more entertaining than this pitch or me doing ad reads or Bill doing truly disgusting jackass-type stunts, as often happens in the public versions of these episodes. In any case, thanks for listening. We thrive vampire-like on your attention. Go forth. Maybe I should sell my soul. Maybe I should sell my soul.